You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that As our story from the Gospel opens, Jesus has just crossed over the sea. We've had the storm at sea. He's crossed over. He's landed. And now a crowd has gathered around him as they always do wherever he is. And a man presents himself for his daughter is ill, ill unto death, and asks Jesus for a miracle. Jesus is on the way to the man's house when our story gets interrupted, as it were, by a woman also seeking healing from Jesus. And we have to to really understand how desperate this woman's situation is. We have to understand a few things about first century culture, particularly first century Jewish culture. This woman was not only ill with a long-standing disease, but her particular illness was that she had a discharge of blood. She couldn't stop bleeding from a particular wound. And what that made her was ritually unclean. It made her an outcast. She couldn't live with the rest of her family. She couldn't come into the temple to worship. She was utterly separated from her community by the nature of her disease, the way some people are today by the nature of their disease, when people don't know how to deal with it. And so what she was seeking as she reached for the hem of Jesus' garment was not just healing of her physical illness, but restoration. Restoration to a relationship with God so she could go to temple. Restoration to a relationship with her kin and her neighbors and her friends. Her situation was truly desperate. She had given over all that she had for healing, and this was her last chance. And she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and immediately she feels in her body that the wound is, in fact, healed. Now, if this is where the story had ended, it would be amazing enough But Jesus stops the entourage to Jairus' house with his question, Who touched me? Now, at this point, we either have to think to ourselves, Jesus really didn't know who touched him. But in a moment, he's going to demonstrate that he already knows that the child is dead, but not really because he can raise him. So that doesn't seem to make much sense. He is, after all, God in the flesh. Oh, we have to assume he's got another motive. Why would Jesus stop this whole emergency train to a house to save a little girl with his question, who touched me? I owe this biblical insight to Sheila Walsh and I gratefully acknowledge the debt. Here's part of what would have happened if this had been the end of the story. If Jesus had not asked his question... The woman had already received her healing. But this healing would have forever been a stolen blessing. Something she took without asking and never gave thanks for. 
so that even as she was restored to her community, the next time she went to worship, whether in synagogue or temple, she received all she desired from God, but it never had the opportunity to pay for it. Not that we pay for it, because it's already been a gift. But she never gave a chance, had a chance to give thanks. Jesus' question stops this illicit transaction and gives her the opportunity to come and give thanks for what has happened. Gives her a chance to testify that Jesus is the one who healed her and gives Jesus the opportunity to teach by saying to her, your faith has made you well. Before we go on, how many of us, how many of us are like that woman before Jesus asked his question? How many of us think to give thanks for all the many gifts we've been given by God? Or are we forgetful? I know I am. One of the blessings in my life was that when I was in seminary, I got to take a preaching elective at Howard University. Howard University, if you're not familiar with it, um, is uh, an African-American school. My, uh, my professor, Dean Crawford, we called him, um, he'd been ordained for 50 years. I don't know how long he'd been uh, teaching at the school. Um, but it, class with him was wonderful. He would drop these little pearls into the, at two hours of lecture and he just sat poised with their pencil waiting to write down that one thing that he was going to tell you. Um, but I got to go to worship at the chapel one time. And I don't know if you know this, but African Americans can conduct worship a little differently than we do um, as a group. And what was amazing was uh, I was there one time and we were at prayer and the, the pastor was at the altar and he starts out his, his prayer like this. He says, Lord, we thank you that today we are not on our cooling table. And I thought, I don't know if I've ever gotten up and thanked God that I'm just simply not dead today. <laughs> that I've got life and breath within me. That today I have the opportunity to serve another, to praise Him for the gifts I've been given. Sure, we earn our way in life, but we earn our way with gifts that were given to us. I, have, I didn't plan that I would have musical skills. I didn't plan that I would be able to read books and put the pieces together and that that made me set up that someday I could get a master's degree, which meant I could become a pastor. All those were gifts I was given. And sometimes I fail to thank God for the blessings that have already been bestowed. The Corinthian church was guilty of this too. And that's the focus of Paul's letter today. The Corinthian church, they were an incredibly amazing congregation. Made up, many of them slaves who either earned their freedom or been freed. And now they had gotten rich living in a port city and doing business. And yet, they weren't a very generous congregation. So Paul tells them the story about the church in Macedonia who is incredibly poor and yet they took up an amazing offering to send to a church that was even more needy than them. And Paul tells them the story. He says, I tell you this story not to put you under any obligation but so that you can remember that the one who was rich got poor for you. 
And so you who are rich can afford to be generous to others in their need. Jesus gives this woman a chance to testify to the miracle she's experienced. And so she has the chance to give praise and thanks publicly for what God is doing in her life. But just at that moment, the story changes. People arrive, emissaries from Jairus' house, and they come with the news that his daughter is dead. And he need not bother the teacher any longer. As one person receives their miracle, it seems that the delay has perhaps deprived another person of theirs. But Jesus looks at him and says, It's okay. Just have faith. We're going. And they go to Jairus' house. And of course, the story ends with Jesus raising the little girl from her deathbed. Now here's a question I have for you. In the totality of this story we've heard from the Gospel... Are we more like the woman with the flow of blood or are we more like the little girl raised from the dead? I assert to you that we and the Corinthians are more like the little girl raised from the dead because we understand the fullness of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. We have heard the news that we are not hobbled by our sin. We're not disabled by our sin. We don't have a problem with our sin. We are dead in our sin. And the Lord of glory who was rich became poor and died on a cross that the death we are already in the midst of might be lifted and we could be raised to new life. Who was more grateful Jairus or a woman who was healed. Every prayer for healing we offer, we hope earnestly for its fulfillment. And yet, we know there must come a time when one prayer will not be fulfilled so we can make that transition to the kingdom of heaven. But we know when we make that transition, we make it because the Lord of glory became poor for our sake. How generous should then our response of thanks be? One of the people I have had the privilege of getting to know in the course of my ministry is a woman named Marva Dawn. I met her in 2002. I, I had the good fortune to be part of a committee that got to bring speakers to our, our campus. Marva Dawn uh, was an amazing lady, is an amazing lady. I, I found out through the internet she is, uh, is retired but is still with us. Um, has four master's degree and a PhD in theology. Amazing. She used to write the lead article for the Lutheran magazine until um, church politics deprived her of that position. But when I met her, she wasn't bitter about that. Um, I had the great fortune of picking her up at BWI and being her escort for 48 hours on our campus and then taking her back to the the airport as well. And in that time, I got to spend a lot of time with her. Not only was she an amazing intellect, she had once been a triathlete. Some people are such underachievers. (laughs) But when I met her, she walked with a cane and had several major autoimmune diseases she was dealing with. She married late in life, 
And her diseases were so serious that it was only a combination of medicines and special diet that kept her alive week to week at that point. And her husband and she married their in, measured their anniversaries in months, not years. And I asked her one morning, she would get up at 5 a.m. to begin the medical things that kept her alive. So when I picked her up to go to breakfast at 8, she was ready and had time for both her medical stuff and her prayers. And, and I met her at her dorm and was walking with her across campus. And here's this woman who used to run triathlons, hobbling along with a cane and barely able to make it from the dorm to the refectory. And I said to her, I said, how, does it, how do you deal with this? All this change in your life. And she shrugged. And I could tell she'd had this conversation with God a long time ago. And she said, I guess God doesn't need me to run races anymore. But she came and into that much troubled campus, she spoke words of truth and spoke them peacefully and engaged people in conversation. She was a powerful minister of the gospel. But what was more amazing about uh, her, I found out later, um, she had the distinct pleasure of being audited by the IRS not one, not two, but three times. Because when they saw her tax return, they couldn't believe that she was so generous with her money. All of the money she had earned for all her years of ministry went to other ministries. And her husband's income from being a public school teacher, they more than tithed. So someone thought someone was playing a game at some place. <laughs> like the church in Macedonia, in the midst of her affliction, she clung to the grace of Jesus Christ and so could be generous to others. Not out of an obligation, because the miracle is already given. Jesus Christ has already died for our sins and has already risen to life eternal that we might have that same life. But now, we have the privilege of, as last week's reading said, widening our hearts to be generous to others. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I know that too often my, my concerns are restricted to the cares and troubles of the day and I lose sight of the big picture that you have already given the ultimate sacrifice for us and alter, all, answered the ultimate prayer that death should have no power over us. Lord, I ask that you open my heart. We ask, all of us, that you open our hearts ever wider. Make us to see the needs of those around us as you saw our need. Make us generous to meet them with words, with deeds, whatever is necessary. That others may see an example of the grace we have already received. These things we ask in the name of Him who became poor for our sake, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best heart in thy
Sleeping, that presence, my light. 